hello and welcome to This Is Our Design, Sound on Sight's Handball podcast dedicated to Brian Fuller's series based on the characters created by Thomas Harris. I am Sean Coletti, contributing writer to Sound on Sight, and I am joined by my co-host Kate Kolzik, TV editor at Sound on Sight. Hello, Kate. Hey, Sean. Uh, this week we'll be talking about the season premiere, season two, episode one, Kaiseki, directed by Tim Hunter, written by Brian Fuller and Steve Lightfoot. And joining us this week will be our special guest of the podcast, Ricky D, general editor at Sound on Sight. Hello, Ricky. Hello, Sean. Hello, Kate. Hello, listeners. All right. Uh, before we get into this episode, it might be a good idea just to talk about a couple things from season one to refresh listeners' memories. I know that many of us were really skeptical about Hannibal going into it. Before it premiered last year, not only because the TV landscape is a bit saturated with serial killer shows, but also because pretty much every Hannibal adaptation since Silence of the Lambs uh, had not exactly been a strong film. So um, we ended up being pleasantly surprised by how intelligent this was done, not just the aesthetics, but obviously the leads, the writing, the sound design. So uh, I'll throw it over to, to either Kate or Ricky to talk about some of the things that you enjoyed about the first season of Hannibal and maybe kind of pitch to the listeners who have not seen the first season uh, why they ought to check it out. Can I just quickly jump in and say that I disagree that there's no strong adaptation of the Thomas Harris novels. Like I think Manhunter, Michael Mann's film is a masterpiece. Oh, no, no, no. Uh, I completely agree. I, I think what I said was since the Silence of the Lambs film. So, yeah, that, uh, that includes Manhunter as well. Okay, then we agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, why check out season one of Hannibal? Why not? I think it was by far one of the best shows of last year. I mean, we can think of Breaking Bad and the Americans and so forth. But, uh, I mean, visually, like artistically, the art direction, the cinematography is just mind-blowing, especially because it's for the small screen. It has some big-name directors behind a lot of the episodes. Uh, you want to talk about characterization, they really know how to build on these characters. I think the acting across the board is fantastic, especially for Matt Smith, Mickelson, and Hugh Dancy. Uh, Hugh Dancy's Will Graham is most likely my favorite character on television right now. And I think the best thing about Season 1 is when we get to the 13th episode, the final episode of Season 1, it all comes full circle. And when you get to episode 13, that's when you see the grand design, Brian Fuller's big think piece. Like you see his design and you realize that all of it just comes together and not necessarily wraps up in a, in a nice uh, bow and tie, but it just, it all makes sense. And I think it, I think like, you know, there's a lot of seasons, a lot of TV shows as, as you progress, it becomes progressively worse. Like be it uh, the way they built some characters and storylines, but season one of Hannibal, when it ended, I was just even more excited for season two. It just got better and better and better. And I would add on to that. Aside from the fantastic writing, almost universally, you know, each of the episodes and most of the characters really well written in season one of Hannibal. And aside from the performances, which I absolutely agree were fantastic. And aside from the sound design, production design, every technical element of the show what i particularly enjoy about hannibal season one is its themes and its message and its exploration of violence and pain and destruction and the 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 side effects and and the side damage the peripheral damage i guess i should say of violence this is a show that begins with the most justifiable of justifiable homicides and then spins out into all the pain that comes from that. The moment in every other crime procedural or you know serialized crime drama where somebody has to kill somebody else 
because it's a defense moment or because they're threatening somebody else. And then two episodes later, the show has forgotten it ever happened. On Hannibal, that is the catalyzing moment for this entire descent into madness for the central character. And it, it's it's a beautiful exploration of of what violence does to people, even the very best of people, along with being all these other things. And so in a, in a TV landscape that we both have said is very full of crime shows and of serial killer shows, this is one of the very few, and actually for me, the only significant show that is exploring the realities that go along with a serial killer or a, or this type of violence. And so to see that portrayed in such a beautiful and yet gruesome way is hugely powerful for for me, it was one of my top five shows of 2013, and I was so excited to see it come back. And this is a show that, by the way, I don't know if either of you remember this, when we talked about it last year, I was like sort of dreading Hannibal season one. I'm a big Brian Fuller fan, but I did not, I, I was not looking forward to the show. And so I was, it was such a pleasant surprise. And for me to kind of take us to this episode, I was so happy to see all of my hopes and you know expectations for season two paid off in this wonderful premiere. I completely agree. So you were talking about some of the themes that recurred throughout the first season. Uh, one of the themes I want to touch on right now is obsession. And in this episode, Hannibal is sitting down with Dr. Demoye, played by Julian Anderson. They're having a conversation, trying to tackle Hannibal's relationship with Will Graham. And she says to him, you are obsessed with Will Graham. And he replies, I'm intrigued. And so without necessarily relating this bit to Hannibal at first, and we can do that shortly after, uh, could one of you maybe explain what you think the difference is between being obsessed with something or someone and being intrigued are? What are the differences in intent or goal, maybe? Wow, this is tricky. It's like getting inside Mads Mikkelsen's Hannibal's head. I wrote in my <laughs> review that I think he's clearly emotionally conflicted because it's as if he wants to be like Will Graham, but then... He also wants Will Graham to be his best friend because when the episode ends, he sits by himself on his couch in his like beautiful living room and he looks lonely. Like he looks like he misses Will Graham. You're right about obsession. Like he's obsessed. And that's exactly what uh, his psychiatrist played by Gillian Anderson says to him. She's like, I don't know if friends is the right word. Perhaps it's obsession. And now that Will's behind bars, you know, Hannibal can walk in his shoes as he does in one specific moment in this episode, but that isn't enough to make up for Will Graham's absence. And I think by the end of the episode, when he sits quietly alone on the couch, we realize and he realizes how much it hits him and how much he misses Will Graham. And I think that's what's so interesting about their relationship. It's like it's like it's going to take over Hannibal to the point where I think it's going to be the reason why he's eventually going to slip up. Like the emptiness Hannibal feels by not having Will Graham around might subconsciously lead him to getting caught. And, you know, clearly everybody knows that he will get caught by the end of the story. I mean, everybody's familiar with the original source material. I mean, I don't know. I'm not a psychiatrist here, but I think that's one of the most fascinating things about the TV series is the relationship between Will Graham and, and Hannibal Lecter. And it helps that we have two fantastic actors in the roles. Definitely. And I think another big part of uh, the difference between <laughs> obsession and in intrigue is whether you're lying to yourself. So, you know, there's that element there as well. But very well said, Ricky. Yeah, the end of intrigue seems to be once you've kind of understood whatever it is you're intrigued by, uh, that's kind of it. You know, you move on to the next thing. And Hannibal has reached a point where he's surpassed that point and yet is still so 
focused on Will Graham. So I definitely think that that goes into the obsession territory. Well, but then don't you think that one of the major themes of this episode is loneliness? Because we don't just see him sitting at the end of the episode lonely, but we see even Jack misses Will Graham to the point where Jack returns to his home. Just like Winston, you know, uh, Will Graham's dog keeps on returning home. It's like everybody who's surrounded by Will Graham or everyone that surrounds Will Graham in his life misses him dearly, including Alanda Bloom and even Beverly. I mean, Beverly goes to the prison to visit him and she makes it seem like it's all business because she's trying to be professional and she knows she has a job to do and there's a killer on the loose and they need to find out who this killer is to stop him from killing more and more people. But you can tell she's holding back. Well, and this has always been a show about lonely people and about isolated people. If you look at Jack, obviously he's married, but we had that lovely couple episodes in season one exploring his strained relationship with his wife uh, because, of course, she's she's ill. And so there's other elements there. But, you know, but even the characters who should theoretically not be as isolated still have that element to their character. And so it's not surprising to see that explored in this episode. And I think one of the characters that will be fun, I have a sense we're going to get more of her this season as well, to see that from is Dr. Du Maurier. I'm a big Gillian Anderson fan. And so seeing... You know, you get more, distinctly more of a sense in this premiere of her role and, and her lack of choice in her role as Hannibal's sort of counsel or, you know, air quotes friend. In the first season, there was more of a teasing of the audience of how much does she know and how much does she approve. And in maybe it's just me. I'm curious what you guys think. But in this premiere, I felt much more like she was uh, just as isolated and captive as Will is in that cell when she's in her house with Hannibal. The isolation is definitely there. But again, I'm not entirely clear on how much information she possesses because Hannibal says to her, even she doesn't know everything or understand everything about Hannibal, but she clearly knows that he is not what he says he is. I think she knows he is capable of doing terrible, terrible things. But I don't think she has any kind of proof and or thinks that he's responsible for the murders. Well, I think that uh, obviously last last year we found out that she was attacked by a former patient, a, a patient that he had that Hannibal had referred to her. And it's implied that Hannibal saved her from this, you know, saved her life. And uh, I think she's smart enough to also realize after, you know, having had Hannibal as a patient that he very well set up that situation. And so I think she is fully aware of what he is capable of, even if she doesn't necessarily know that he is eating people. Uh, though I got a sense that she might know that too last season. Yeah, well, she says in the episode, like she says that he's transparent, but then she goes on to say that he puts her in a position where she has to lie for him again, as if he's done it in the past. Mm -hmm. But that's the, th this is the tricky thing about Hannibal. This is the one subplot that I'm worried about because I think this subplot might not work because if she is fully aware that he is capable and or has killed all of these people and is a cannibal and so on and so forth, then there's no reason for her not to run to, to the uh, authorities. I mean, like, I think she's terrified of him. I know. Well, I don't yeah. think she trusts the authorities to protect her. Maybe, but I mean, I don't know. It just it feels like I mean, you run to the cops, you let them know what the situation is, they're not going to like, they're, they're, I, I assume they're clearly going to protect her. I don't think they're just going to let her loose and walk out the front door. I, I don't know. It's, it's tricky. That's the one relationship I'm worried about. Well, just going back to what Ricky said about it being transparent, about Hannibal being transparent. She says, you maintain this air of transparency. And she's referring to his cooperation with the FBI. And she's kind of surprised by that, given the information that she has about Hannibal. 
But I was wondering what you think of the idea of Hannibal as a character being transparent. We see him kind of manifested in Will's inner mind as this horned devil type thing. And so for Will, it's not something transparent at all. He's he's very much a, a representation of evil in that way. But it seems like Hannibal can maneuver outside of Will kind of from scene to scene going unnoticed. You know, we get that that piece of dialogue where Beverly's checking all of his clothes and he, he mentions leaving little imprints everywhere, but we know that he's so meticulous that this doesn't happen. So I don't necessarily see him as a as that manifestation as Will does. He does seem much more transparent. It's interesting. For me, transparent, uh, the first thing I go to with that is not that he is invisible. So I didn't even think of that. That's really interesting, Sean. Uh, the first thing that I come to is that his facade is transparent. So for mm-hmm. Will he can see right through this pristine gentleman that the rest of the world sees, but that's only because he's, you know, gone through all of the, you know, the events of season one and wound up in the asylum and uh, convict, you know, not convicted, I should say, but uh, accused of all these murders. And so he finally has the perspective to truly see Hannibal, or at least to think he does. And so that's what I immediately thought I thought of as well as, so now Will and the audience can see who this character is, but no one else, and maybe not even Hannibal, has a clear picture of who this is. He, you know, I, and I think as far as the other characters, the one that I, you know, still am looking forward to seeing is just like we've already been talking about, just how much Doctor Du Maurier knows and sees uh, of who Hannibal is. But I think you know that that notion of of facade and of how much of who this character is we really see and each of these other characters really see is going to be a fun one to track throughout the season. I, I don't know if we're going to get a lot of Gillian Anderson because she's so busy filming more shows that I don't know if she can fit it into her schedule. I mean, that's why every time we see her, we see her in the very same scene in the very same room sitting down talking to Hannibal Lecter. I don't know if we're going to get a lot of Dr. DeMaurier. I believe she's in more this episodes this season than she was last season, just like from press releases and stuff. But I mm-hmm. suppose that could be wrong. She does have, like you say, she does have a new show um, on NBC. Yes, on NBC. Yeah, NBC. As well as, of course, she's she's doing another season of The Fall, which is a really uh, strong, another serial killer show from last year that people should check out on like Netflix. I think it's on Netflix. But uh, but yeah, that is that is potentially the case. I'm not exactly sure how many episodes she'll be in, but I d- definitely think. You know, they they didn't need to have her in this episode. It's not like she served a plot function. And so the choice to have her in and to have her featured so prominently, I think, is an interesting one. So sticking with some of the, the supporting characters here who come to visit Will during this episode, uh, Ricky already mentioned that Beverly goes in for some consultation for the murder investigation that they're working on. We see Chilton interact with, with Will as well. The most intriguing one to me, though, is when Alana Bloom goes to visit him and we get this beautiful sequence, uh, which is obviously not uncommon in Hannibal, in which they're performing this memory recall. And uh, there's a metronome on the table that kind of reminds us of how Will handles um, investigating crime scenes or how we saw him do it in the first season where he rewinds time. And then this kind of specter version of Alana Bloom engulfs him and, and that sends him back to the, the memory that he gains regarding the the ear, Abigail Hobbs's ear that Hannibal Force feeds him. What what did you make of that sequence? You know, I'm not entirely sure, to be totally honest with you. Like, I'm even trying to figure out what exactly the stag means. I mean, in last year's reviews, when I was writing, I, I write weekly reviews for each episode on the website, soundside.org, and I 
interpreted what the dreams or the visions of the stag meant and has the show progressed i'm not entirely sure if i was right i'm not even sure if i'm if i know if i can give you a, a good answer like i have no idea i just know it was beautiful to look at well and when you talk about the the stag and I I don't I wouldn't consider this a spoiler. If anybody's worried, we have not unfortunately we do not have access to the other three episodes that some people got screeners of. So we are incapable of spoiling what's gonna happen in the next few episodes. But the I wouldn't consider this a spoiler. I know that in interviews Brian Fuller has talked about uh the stag, the which of course I didn't realize this, but it has the raven feathers. It's like a raven feathered stag. I missed that completely when I was watching season one and only learned that through the DVDs. But uh, he, he's referred to the stag as as Will's Patronus, which I think as being a Harry po- Potter geek, I enjoyed that just in general. But, uh, you know, that, so that's more of like a representation of of Will and sort of a, you know, a warning or a protector. And so mm-hmm. I think... Even and I don't know that I was necessarily picking that up from season one, but even just hearing Brian Fuller discuss that external to the show has affected the way that I I think of it. And so when in this episode we we see the stag's leg before Hannibal comes in, I was thinking more of like Will preparing himself to to deal with Hannibal again, as opposed to the ominous potential of of that figure just as Hannibal is entering. Yeah, but that's why I'm confused now, because I wrote the very same thing in my review last year, and we talked about it, Kate, on the Televerse podcast when we Mm -hmm. did season one wrap-up. But we see the stag throughout the whole entire episode in specific moments when there shouldn't be a warning. And so that's why I'm confused as to why we keep on getting a reoccurring motif of the stag. But I mean, as far as his visions go, I think it mirrors his internal demons. And I think in the sequence with Alana, maybe it possibly represents his love and admiration for Alana and how beautiful he thinks she is, but at the same time regret and how maybe he thinks he's poisoned for her. Like he thinks that if he gets close to her, then he will ruin her life. Like I'm not entirely sure. And that's, uh, you know, I want to see how their relationship works out also, because that is a relationship I'm also very interested in. And I just want to quickly say that one thing I love about Hannibal, especially the start of season two, is I really think that they're going to make good use of the female cast. Because just in this one specific episode alone, we get Alana Bloom, who serves a, a function, and she has a beautiful moment, maybe one or two great scenes with Alana Bloom. Beverly Katz has two fantastic scenes in this episode. And then we get introduced to a new character. And I'm not entirely sure what her function is. and I'm assuming she's going to come back, but we get introduced to... Cade Cynthia- Purnell. Yeah, Kate is played by actress Cynthia Nixon, and she plays basically like, a, like um, an FBI investigator who's not happy with the fact that Alana sort of formally blames Jack Crawford for helping Will go insane, I guess you could say. So I really like the way Hannibal is using these female characters, because we always use the word strong female characters. It's not just about them being strong. It's about them being interesting, about them having something to do, about them having good dialogue, about them serving a purpose, about actually caring for these characters and we have four interesting female characters in the show and this is a show about a serial killer and that just seems like odd you know when you look at other shows they can't for whatever reason do it but Hannibal can I absolutely agree and not only does a lot of Bloom serve a function in this episode she is the thing that pushes Will to the next step towards that 12 weeks fast forward thing she is the one who gives him the ability to find these memories. He calls them, he calls it a new memory, which I think is really interesting just because it kind of verges on the oxymoronic. But he, she's the one 
who lets him start to have more confidence in himself. It's not a matter of proving that he's innocent. It's a matter of proving that Hannibal is the one who is guilty. Yeah. And when you talk about that, uh, that beautiful visual of her in black, and I, I thought that was a very interesting, very specific choice to have first the stag is black and also the Hannibal horned scariness, whatever we, that is, the satyr or whatever that, that is of Hannibal, that is also just that same shade of black. And then Alana, also that same shade of black. At first it felt a little ominous, but then when uh, we talk about that scene, I, I always, I wasn't sure if it's it's the notion that if he touches her, she will break and fall up and fall apart just like he has or if it's more that he wants to get lost in her and to be able to uh to, to just be swallowed by her compassion and and just all the wonderful elements of who that character is and her understanding and her attempt to try to heal him and fix him or at least help him understand but i think either way it was a, a gorgeous visual and i i really appreciated that they let her have this really positive role in this episode while maintaining that she does still think he did it. It's not like she thinks he didn't do it. The closest, the person who seems most likely to jump on the maybe Will didn't do it bandwagon is actually Beverly. Absolutely. Yeah, just based on the fact that she's willing to go to Will for help in solving the case. So maybe that's a good segue to talk about the case itself. And if I could pinpoint one of the things that I might have considered a flaw of the first season, if there were any, it was that I think the first half of that season may have been too fast because there were so many standalone episodes. We got that break where Abigail Hobbs was in a coma and that kind of season serial arc didn't come into heavy focus until the second half. And so I'm really glad to see this story about this guy who is embalming and preserving bodies occur at, at the very least over two episodes. So what, what do you make of that structure? And are you happy to see that it's not just a standalone single episode? I think it's tricky because the show is really pushing boundaries and pushing buttons. It's really graphic. And I knew that they would kind of sort of have that kind of structure. Like I think Brian Fuller and his team knew going into the first season that they kind of needed some standalone episodes and they needed episodes in which new view viewers can start watching and not be totally confused and lost as to what exactly is going on with the overall season arc. You know what I mean? And uh, now I think they, they feel a little bit more comfortable. I mean, I know the ratings aren't great. They've moved to a Friday night, but they are still around and are probably going to sign up for a season three. And I think they feel more comfortable now in just really exploring the characters and the, the important storylines that they want to explore. I like the idea that they introduced a killer in the first episode and i don't think it's going to be resolved anytime soon i think it's absolutely fascinating yet absolutely disgusting that he preserves models of human color uh i mean i don't even know how to explain it he pre he preserves uh, are they alive like they eventually die right like he preserves these men and women uh with some kind of like chemical goo <laughs> like <laughs> i don't even know how to explain it it's over my head but i just think it's fascinating like the just the final image that reveals the hideous portrait of like an eyeball composed of human bodies. That was unbelievable. The fact that they're all crammed in a silo, like that was just unbelievable. That was like a money shot. That was an image that will never escape my memory. I, I don't even know what to say. I just think it's brilliant. And I like the idea of introducing this killer. A lot of people are, are saying that they think he's Buffalo Bill. But they don't actually have the rights for Buffalo Bill for the TV show. I think they've made some nice nods to Buffalo Bill, like the character from Silence of the Lambs and from the actual original source material. But I don't think they can actually introduce Buffalo Bill. So I think they have to kind of create their own little monster within the series now. 
that mm-hmm. will probably be similar to the character of Buffalo Bill, but somewhat different. Well, and uh, I, I gotta give them props for managing to make something more horrifying and less gory than anything we got last season. So, because what we had discovered throughout the course of the episode was just the the other bodies that that they had discovered. Those people had died of a hair a massive heroin overdose, and we see the the person who's been kidnapped get injected with heroin. And so we don't know if that is normal for them to wake up or not. If it's if if the process went wrong with these other people and part of the process going wrong was them dying of heroin overdose. And so therefore that the rest of these rest of this horrifying eye, all those people normally, you know, whether it's normal for them to die of a heroin overdose and then be placed or whether they all died unable to move or potentially really make any sound it's utterly horrifying that he wakes up and theoretically can't move oh Oof. god this is why i'm drinking wine now. i need to yeah. get drunk while talking about this show oh my well, god while being less gory yeah no more horrifying less gory and just hyper intelligent like it's such a visual cue to the whole what do you see that that is shaped like an eyeball and yeah. so these things are so interconnected it's amazing yeah, I wouldn't expect to see anybody who's a, you know, a Buffalo Bill stand-in for until season like 5. So that you know, unless they're going to do a nod very early on here. But I mean, I think it's less about cuz I could see what you're saying or what other people are saying Ricky with the um the the comment about the skin, but I think that has to do with him, you know, as, as Will says, it's a color palette that he's looking for. So he, you know, not so much I want to wear your skin like Buffalo right. Bill. And that's but, you know, it's different than the case from season one that was mentioned. So yeah. this is a different killer. So I think they mentioned Buffalo Bill in season one, but I think this is their own creation. This is a creation of the television series. But I mean, Hannibal's visual department continues to impress. I mean, that is one of the main reasons why I first got hooked on the show. I mean, the pilot was fantastic, but the first thing that blew me away about the pilot, apart from maybe the acting from Hugh Dancy and Mads Mikkelsen, was just the cinematography and the art direction. And I love the way it's shot. Like, I was writing about this in my review like how it's always tightly framed we get a lot of medium shots a lot of a lot of close-ups a lot of muted colors a lot of shadowy lighting and a lot a lot of shallow focus and it's interesting the way they shoot the show because it's not just about the beauty of the technical process like about you know what kind of cameras they use and how they arrange the lights and whatnot but it's about the images it's about the reoccurring visuals like the motifs like in this case like, like an eyeball for example but the way they design the show, the way it, it's designed to look, like the way we see it, it's as if they want us to see things the way Will sees things. Like it doesn't really allow the audience to look away unless you actually, you know, literally look away from your TV set, right? You know, no matter where you look in the frame, you're going to be looking at something disgusting if that is what you're supposed to be looking at. So it's really interesting the way they just shoot it. Like, and they have like some of the world's best cinematographers working for them like one of the guys that shot about five episodes in season one is del toro's main guy he's the guy that, that, that works with del toro and every single one of his movies has the dop he shot pan's labyrinth he shot devil's backbone and so on and so forth so i don't know like this is by far i mean i think everyone can agree if it's not their favorite show i think it's the best looking show on television right now yeah, it's not just the way that the way that it's shot, like you said. It's also those motifs, uh, like the kitchen motif in this episode, where 
we see Hannibal commit acts of violence in that surrounding. So obviously the, the cold open here, the sequence that went live before the episode is absolutely beautiful, but how they make use of all of the, the kitchen utensils, like the cutting board, the knives, how Hannibal slams Jack with the fridge door. And then later when we get the, the scene where he's putting the ear down Will's throats in the background, you can see that it's also taking place in the kitchen. There's a bunch of pots and pans to the side. Yeah. So, it's it's fantastic and how consistent it is in bringing those motifs out. Also, the way they use reflections, like just in the opening fight sequence. I mean, yeah, the fight choreography was intense and you know it was amazing to watch and exciting. But I think the shot that really caught my attention was the reflection of Hannibal's face through the knife, like on the knife. And then later you see the reflection of Jack Crawford's face on the knife. And throughout the whole entire first season, they made good use of reflections. Like reflections is a reoccurring theme in the series as well. Well, and when we talk about the visuals and the the look of this season and just the gorgeous cinematography, a couple of things come to mind for me. And one of them is it's very impressive that everything that we see is gorgeous on this show everything every little detail of the sets design and the costuming and all of that is handled with such care to be absolutely beautiful and yet it, we don't have overload at least when i'm watching i don't have overload to the point where you're not noticing it anymore you're not appreciating it because there's too much beautiful you know even the ugly things are beautiful and yeah. and to, to to make that work takes a lot of very specific care but it's not just the look it's also the sound it's also how everything everything feels incredibly visceral and and i we get that significantly in this premiere through the sound design of that ear sequence through just the physicality of that i mean we got it can we just that opening fight sequence was fucking amazing <laughs> well you're 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 definitely a music person. Can, so can you like describe to us the, the ins and outs of the, the score in this series? Because to me, it just sounds like these really weirdly juxtaposed percussion instruments and other things. And it's just kind of noise at times. And it works so well. Yeah, there's definitely a creation of a sound uh, wall at times, but it, it, it's percussion, it's it's at times strings. There was one particular moment in this premiere where I was really appreciating what sounded to me, at least like a cello line. Brian Retzel is the composer, and uh, there's a if you aren't familiar with uh, sound design or or using found objects in scoring, I recommend checking out the season one DVD because there's a there's a very uh, informative special feature there of just about the the scoring for the show. But uh, he's creating this sort of blend of sometimes there's a melody, sometimes it's just a sound or a feeling that he's conveying with these different types of either uh, you know like percussion instruments or older instruments or just found objects you know like a you'd be amazed how eerie a like a bass bow against a symbol that's not moving just like drawing a bow against an instrument that you don't usually use a bow on can be really effective so it's just it's a really creative way to to draw us into the mind of especially will but these other characters it'll be interesting to see with will in in jail or in the asylum all season if will shift perspective more to be some of these other characters but for me, I always feel like I'm in Will's mind. And so when we're on the river, it's very peaceful. It's very serene um, and until, of course, the Hannibal being comes out of the water. But uh, the rest of the time, you, you have a use of 
of different percussive elements and different uh, found objects, at least that's what it seems like to me, to create this sort of uh, palpable dread. And uh, yeah, it's it's really, it's very interesting, but it, yeah, and, and a lot of the times you'd be surprised which instruments are ones that are really old, <laughs> very, you know, they've been around for, you know, if not thousands, but definitely hundreds and hundreds of years, and which ones are something that he just put together himself, the composer. Uh, but yeah, I, I really appreciate those, the scoring for this show and the sound design to really get you into just the panic and fear and paranoia of, of Will's experience. You know, if I could just quickly plug a fantastic film I saw two years ago that made my top 10, it's called Barbarian Sound Studio, and I highly recommend fans of Hannibal check it out. It's sort of like a psychological horror film, but it's about a man who specifically deals with sound design and sound mixing for horror films, especially Jalo films. So it's about it's sort of like a movie within a movie. He goes to a studio in Italy to, you know, create sound designs and sound effects for this movie. It is fantastic. Uh, getting back just now to Kaiseki's murder investigation, because there was one other thing that I wanted to talk about. This might not have been the case in the first season, but I'd like to think that since then, the these kind of standalone cases that Brian Fuller brings out probably fit in with some aspect of either the Hannibal or the Will character. So I was kind of wondering if either of you see a connection between this person who has this need to preserve some ideal version of the human body and if that relates to one of our two main characters you know we've seen hannibal mold will in some ways and he might seem like the perfect specimen not a discard um and just any other connections that you might see it's very interesting i don't know you know whenever it comes to serial killers in movies and tv shows it seems like they're looking for perfection and the reason why they hate just about everybody is because everybody disgusts them in some way you know what i mean and be it looking for someone who's i don't know physically perfect or has a perfect skin or that you can control mind control so that they will perfectly do what you want them to do i mean there's clearly some kind of connection uh, what it is i mean we don't really know much about the new killer for me to actually specifically be able to give you a good answer right now i mean that's something i'm interested to see like i want to see where they go with this new case but i i think that's the thing is that i think Hannibal Lecter admires uh, Will Graham so much that to him, even though he wants to change him and shape him and form him, I think he is in some ways perfect in his eyes. And that's like, that's why he's so fucked up. That's why he's so conflicted. It's like he, he doesn't, he can never get what he wants. Like at the end of the day, he will lose. And it's not about him getting caught by the FBI. It's about the fact that what he wants is impossible because he wants to things from will graham it's like he would need two will grams in order to be specifically happy so you can have will graham has will graham and you can have will graham as he shapes him to be and and maybe even also be will graham man it's weird it's like it's like being in love with yourself only it's not really you (laughs) that makes any sense there is this continuing theme of of control and these this is I'm not a psychiatrist. I just watch lots of TV that has them. So this could be completely, you know, not legitimate in any way. But what I tend to see in these depictions of serial killers um, on Hannibal in season one, and we see it here, is this attempt, like you said, Ricky, to control and to uh, have, you know, people who feel out of control of their own life and in some way or something about themselves. And so they want to control this other element. And so with the killer that we have in this premiere and to I, I realized I didn't answer something you said earlier Sean I do think it's a good move to have you know this one not have this be a standalone 
have at least two episodes with this serial killer because there can only mm-hmm. be so many of them in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, so especially with Will in in the asylum now, he can't be traipsing around the country to discover other ones. So, I mean, I think that's a good move. But, uh, yeah, to get back to that, I think we do see with Hannibal, he wants to control Will, but if he could control Will, he wouldn't uh, respect him and he wouldn't be interested in him. And so it's this constant pull of this desire to shape him into his own image and then to want to see what will he will do or what he will discover or how he will react. I think uh, if if Will started believing what Hannibal was telling him, that he had done this and that he had had a mental break and everything, then Hannibal would immediately lose interest in Will. I think, I think that's such a clear distinction, and it's a really important one between wanting to control him and not wanting to completely control him. There's the exchange that, that Hannibal and Demoye have where she says, Will Graham asking to see you betrays his clear intent to manipulate you and when he asks, okay, well, what if I do go see him? She says it betrays your clear intent to manipulate him. And he does have that impulse, and we see that he immediately after that goes to goes to see Will. But you're right that there can't be that complete possession. Otherwise, that relationship just has no more interest for Hannibal. Yeah, well, the thing is he never completely controlled, like, Will Graham. I mean, at the end of the day, Will Graham figured out that he was responsible and you know, it's because Jack Crawford showed up and shot Will Graham and, you know, he kind of like interfered. And I think that Hannibal knows that he never really won the game. Like he was a challenge for him and he was his greatest challenge. And so he never actually won. It's sort of like he cheated. And now that Will is in prison, he might be suffering from memory loss and he might be behind bars, but he's actually more focused than ever before. And I think Hannibal knows that he's more focused. And I think for the first time in a long time, Will Graham actually has a sense of clarity. Like he actually is going to start thinking clearly, even if he doesn't have a memory, uh, his memory completely back. And so that's what I'm not sure about. Like, I don't know if it's because Hannibal realizes that he never actually won in his like crazy fucked up game. And or if it's because he's just bored and lonely. Like, what if Hannibal met someone quite like Will Graham, like someone at his level, someone just as interesting and brilliant as Will Graham, would he forget about Will Graham and now be pursuing this man? Would he become his next obsession? But he doesn't have that in his life. And or is it because he just never really finished the game? He just never really finished his master plan with Will Graham. And I think it's a bit of both, to be honest. Well, and I like that in this season, when when we start things off, I didn't realize this watching season one, but Will doesn't hasn't figured things out. He just has this knowledge this understanding that Hannibal did this to him but he doesn't know exactly why or how or he hasn't been able to piece things together and I I like that I like that there's just something instinctual in his understanding that Hannibal did this that Hannibal is a monster and yet he still doesn't know everything to put it in so we get to we're gonna get to watch him piece everything together I think that's very interesting and uh when you look at I, I'm not very familiar with the source material I've not read any of the books I've only seen Silence of the Lambs and and read some of the synopsis of the other films but I am I'm very unfamiliar with the other material that that this you know this character is based on or this world is based on uh, but it seems to me that the closest I can think of Ricky to what you're suggesting is 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 Clarice and so when Clarice comes he shifts his attention to her rather than Will. Mm-hmm. Does that sound accurate? Yeah, I think so. But Kate, can I just recommend that, that you watch Manhunter? Like, do yourself a favor, do us a favor, 
watch Manhunter before the next podcast. It's going to blow your mind. It's a way better film than Science of the Lambs. And there's, it's like if, if Brian Fuller was influenced by one big screen adaptation, it would be Manhunter, not Silence of the Lambs or any of the other big screen adaptations. So, do, yeah, seriously, check it out. Uh, but, but it's interesting because in this episode, who does he ask to help him out in helping him retrieve his memories? He calls in Alana Bloom. And the thing is, like, like we get these shots of Will Graham just standing in a prison cell and he's dreaming about fly fishing. But those scenes are so amazing. Like, it's just a man fishing in a river, but it shows us that he's gaining control or at least finding ways to cope with his situation in being in a prison. And that's why I think he's more focused than ever before. Like, he is slowly getting control and he will slowly get back his memories. And when he does... I mean, Hannibal better watch out because I think Will Graham is actually more dangerous than Hannibal. He might not be psychotic, <laughs> but he's fucking brilliant. Well, and that's his mind palace, apparently, yeah. as I understand it. So he's in his mind palace, centering himself and fishing for memories. And so I really like that visual representation of it. And when I compare listeners to the Televerse, the Sound of Science TV podcast that I co-host with uh, with Simon Howell, uh, will know that I'm not a big fan of, you know, I went from the biggest fan of the world of Sherlock to not really being a big fan of it this season, partially due to overuse of Mind Palace. So to compare the use of Mind Palaces in season three of Sherlock with what we see here um, in the premiere of, of Hannibal season two, I loved that representation. It was so wonderful. And if you got that, that's what he was doing, then that's great. And if you didn't, there was enough thematic and uh, tonal uh, consistency that it didn't really matter. The mind palace scenes in Hannibal season two so far, I know it's only been one episode, but they're much more subtle than the mind palace scenes we got in season one. Whereas Sherlock just <laughs> took it to like an extreme. <laughs> and I love Sherlock, but holy cow, man, it was extreme. Yeah, it was so layered. Uh, I kind of liked the the one in that last episode. But yeah, there's a couple interruptions in, in Graham's mind palace. We see, obviously, Hannibal is able to crop up and kind of ruin all of his pleasant moments when he's trying to fish for memories. And then when Jack comes to visit him as well, we see him on the shores waving over to Will. Somebody who doesn't or who can't penetrate his mind palace is Dr. Chilton, who everybody just <laughs> holds in such little regard. It's fantastic. I thought it was an interesting scene, though, where Chilton goes to Hannibal's place for dinner. It, it seemed like an unlikely scene that these two wouldn't necessarily interact outside of the, the state's hospital, besides any reason to, I guess, kind of talk about Will. But I don't get the feeling that Hannibal would want to talk about Will to Chilton, even though he's the one who probably has the most exposure to him. Did that yeah. seem like an odd pairing to you? Well, no. Yeah. It did to me. Really? Because I think Hannibal clearly invited him over because he knows that, you know, he is probably recording conversations. He knows what's happening to Will Graham. I mean, he's obsessed with Will Graham and he knows that if he wants to get information on Will, the best thing to do is to invite him over for dinner. And, you know, what does he say right away? He talks about how Will keeps talking about Hannibal, which probably makes Hannibal feel good because he knows that Will is obsessing over him. Yeah, but I think the thing for me is that uh, while I did really enjoy pretty much every element of this premiere, that was the one scene Well, when I was watching that I was like, really? Because Hannibal doesn't like or respect this person and doesn't want to give him any amount of time. We saw that last season with <laughs> what happened. And so uh, when he w when I saw that he was serving a food, I was like, they made a big deal last season that, that that's the one person that specifically Hannibal we know didn't feed people to because he fed him 
that giant, you know, obviously a pig leg. Um, and so it's, you know, I like that they continue that here that he was eating vegetarian, but that was the one, you know, sort of question mark that I had. Would Hannibal really have this guy over, you know, invite this person over to, to, to eat? And he doesn't, he seems to only do that with people that he very much respects or at least uh, likes. And so that, that I, you know, I'm glad that I'm not the only one who noticed that, Sean. Maybe he was uh, putting in just little bits of meat that, you know, children wouldn't be able to taste. So maybe there was ulterior motive there. The way they kept showing, uh, filming the wine, I kept waiting, like, how they're filming it like this is, you know, somehow a peop that like the wine is somehow people, like Soylent wine or something. And so I was trying to, <laughs> yeah, at the start of the episode, I was trying to, to get a handle on how that could possibly be kind of people until I realized that no, it's just showing the, you know, the extreme beauty or decadence of every element, you know, so it, it doesn't have to just be people for the camera to linger on it this season. Um, but yeah, yeah, that was, um, <laughs> I had a couple moments of, okay, how is all of this actually people, even though it's just vegetables? Mm -hmm. <laughs> all right. So we're getting kind of close to the end here. Maybe it's a good time to project for the future of this season. No, we need to talk about that fight scene. Okay, yeah, all right, let's go back to that. Can I just say something? A lot of people were criticizing the fight scene for two reasons. Number one, what? well, here, hear me out. Number one, it's because they released it online. But can I just say that I didn't watch it? So if you watched it online... It's your own it, damn fault. It's your yeah. own damn fault. And uh, number two, like, I don't think that that fight sequence deflates the tension throughout the whole entire season because as i said at the beginning of the podcast we already know how the source material ends we already know that they're going to find out that hannibal's the serial killer so it's not about the destination it's or how it ends i mean it's it's about the journey and you know and so i was okay with the fight sequence i thought it was incredible and i think they needed a fight sequence and i think they needed to advertise that kind of action set piece to draw in new viewers there was a scene in last season when Hannibal fights uh, the guy who is... Tobias. Yeah, stringing instruments. Exactly, yeah. And th I thought that that was a really good fight sequence, but this one just took it to the next level. I I'm a big fan of Banshee, and I feel like that's the show that has the best stunt coordination and choreography in terms of fight scenes. This was right up there with just about anything that Banshee has ever done. And it didn't deflate anything, I think. No, that was... And it was an amazing opening... Uh, sequence and I, I didn't watch ahead of time. I made sure I didn't watch any trailers when everybody was talking about how amazing the Hannibal season two trailer was. I was like dying, but I made sure I didn't watch it because I wanted to be able to go into the season fresh. Um, and, but I did know that there would be some sort of a fight scene between the two of them just from the work I do for Sound on Sight, where I was collating pictures so that you know Ricky would have you know pictures to use for his review and all of that. I saw that there was some sort of fight scene. I just assumed it was going to be a dream sequence or a fantasy sequence or somehow or or like Will projecting when he was in his. You know, I was figured to be something like that. So I started out watching this, um, and I'm, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm very curious to see what your guys' initial reactions while you were watching it was. I started watching, going like, "Oh, sweet, badass dream sequence fight scene. Yeah, this is this is amazing." I was having flashbacks to Alias, uh, Sid, and the Francinator literally beating each other up with everything, including the kitchen sink in that wonderful alias season finale. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it was it was just so incredibly visceral and powerful, and I love just how creative and character-specific the fight choreography was. It was just, it was amazing. And then we get the 
12 weeks earlier and I was like, holy shit, that actually is going to happen? Are you fucking kidding me? Sorry, I usually try not to swear on these podcasts, but it was such an amazing sequence, so full of energy, exactly the kind of visceral gut punch of energy that, that this start of the season needed. And then I talked to my sister. I watched it with my sister. She doesn't know. She didn't know that Jack Crawford in the books is alive in Silence of the Lambs. So she watched this and, and she couldn't enjoy it because the whole time, you know, we, we both knew Hannibal was going to live. But the whole time she was just kept waiting for Jack to be killed by Hannibal because she knows Hannibal's going to live because there's a movie coming up later. Um, and so I'm curious, you know, what you guys thought about that. For me, it wasn't a spoiler or anything at all because I know both of these characters are going to survive. And so I could just enjoy them beating the crap out of each other. Um, but that's not apparently the case for all viewers. So I'm curious what you guys think about that and what your initial reactions were while you were watching the scene. I think I went through the same journey from thinking that it was a dream sequence. I stayed away from everything press release Hannibal-wise before this came out, so I, I did well there. But as soon as that 12 weeks earlier pops up, it was that, oh, fuck moment, absolutely. And then you know, I have read the, the first two books, and so and, and I've seen the film, so I know that Jack Crawford is still sticking around. But then, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that Fuller has to stick to that. I know he's divulge some of his intentions in terms of when he's going to place Silence of the Lambs in the chronology of this whole series, if he gets the time to do that. But that kind of got me excited for the potential to deviate from that. So I don't know if this scene is going to happen at the end of this season, or if those 12 weeks are going to span two seasons. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if Jack is going to survive that encounter. Okay, well, I'm a little confused, Kate, because, I mean, I don't have the best memory in the world, but I remember Jack Crawford being in the book The Science of the Lambs and in Hannibal and in Red Dragon. Um, I don't think he's in the movie, but this isn't based on the uh, Science of the Lambs movie by, directed by Jonathan Demme. It's based on the actual source material, and I'm sure he's going to feel the freedom to kind of deviate away from the original source material. So I'm not entirely sure what your sister sister's problem was with uh with the sequence well she couldn't enjoy it because she like i was aware that in, in the source material he survives whatever you know happens this season he's gonna be around for a while mm. if they stick to the source material she didn't know that so she couldn't really enjoy it because the whole time she was just sick to her stomach worried that they were like oh but i like jack and he's got his thing with his wife and we know him and it's and it's all it's, it's lawrence fishburne and we like lawrence fishburne so the whole fight sequence whereas i could revel in the physicality of it and and just how visceral it felt and how it really looked like it was gonna hurt uh, everything that the two of them were doing she couldn't have that level of remove or enjoyment because she was too worried about what was going to happen to the character Okay, that makes sense, but I don't know. I don't think it's a deal breaker. I'm I'm on the same boat as you. Like I think that when it started, I initially thought it could have been some kind of dream sequence, and it was. I mean, I was blown away by the fight choreography. But once we get the title card and we realize that this is what's going to happen in the final episode of this season, well, it could um, happen earlier. It could happen. It could happen earlier. It says twelve weeks. You know, it could be twelve episodes. There's what thirteen episodes in a season, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh, it could be honestly the second last episode 
but I don't know. It just completely worked for me. And like I said, it's not about the destination. It's about the journey. And it's about, I don't know. It's, it's like we already know. I mean, even, even if your sister didn't know that Jack Crawford survives in the book, I mean, we all know Hannibal Lecter is Hannibal Lecter. I mean, just the name itself. He's like a legend, you know? Um, so I don't know. It did not phase me one bit. I thought it was, I thought it was the best way they could have opened up season two if they especially want to draw in new viewers, which they need because the ratings are low. So, yeah. Was there any other thing that either of you wanted to mention regarding this first episode? Um, any other image or sound cue that we didn't touch on that you found striking in some way? Well, we might want to talk about the title, however, briefly. It, it's, yeah. The title is uh, Kaiseki. Of course, last, uh, last season, it. Each episode was named after a different course in a 13 episode or every course in a 13 course meal. And this season, they're taking the same approach, but with a, a traditional multi-course Japanese dinner, a kaiseki, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. And that definition is, of course, from Wikipedia. I love you, Wikipedia. Um, and each of the episodes this season take their title from a different course in that uh, traditional progression and so to you know i think that's fun that they're continuing that but it's also i also like that the term uh kaiseki is also the set of skills one needs to be able to present this and so it also kind of refers to uh hannibal's skills as a cook but also then you could extrapolate that out as a killer as a psychiatrist as a puppet master as a dot 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 so i i again i enjoy the the naming of, of each of these episodes and we speak of names i should also mention because i'm going to keep forgetting this unless i try to mention it every week on the podcast maz Mikkel mass mickelson it looks like mads or, or mods it's pronounced mass and let's go team. We'll try to remember it every week. Let us know if we get it wrong. But yes, yes, but we like to call him. I like to call him Mads Mickelson when it relates to Hannibal because the guy is mad. <laughs> um, <laughs> the last thing I just want to quickly say about this episode, and you guys might laugh at me, but I was so happy to see that they actually told us what is happening with the dogs. Like when season mm -hmm. one ended, I think I even said this on the Televerse podcast. One of my big questions is what's going to happen with the dogs? Who's going to take care of the dogs? And in this episode, like, it's a small detail, but it's actually important because those dogs mean the world to Will Graham, you know, and in a lesser show with lesser writers, like I don't think they would have even cared to have mentioned the dogs. And I love, you know, the fact that we get to see Winston run away and return home. And, you know, it's little things like that at the end of the day that go a long way. So, well, and more than that, I love that they, not only did they include the dogs, but they included a line of dialogue for Alana that naturally fit into the flow that explained how she knew where Winston was, that she had had, because these are all stray dogs, but that she had had them all chipped with, you know, like the GPS things so that she can find them in case anything happens to them. And mm -hmm. that, you know, it shows a care for not only the characters, but the characters' pets <laughs> and what this world would be and the, the kind of person that Alana is that she would do that. I mean, I, I those are the ty types of details that I really appreciate shows like this, you know, taking the care to remember. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right. So I think that's going to conclude our discussion of this week's episode. Uh, Kate and I will be back to discuss the remaining episodes of this season, and we will hopefully have a special guest for each one of those podcasts, but that is to be decided. But in any case, thank you for coming on this week's podcast, Ricky. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Um, I could talk about Hannibal like all day long, which I normally do with my niece who's studying to be a psychiatrist. And it's I just love sitting down with my niece, having dinner and a glass of wine and talking about Hannibal. It's my favorite show. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
And can you just remind listeners uh, where they can find you online? Soundinsight.org, I write reviews for all genre shows like Hannibal, Walking Dead, Bates Motel, um, what else, Penny Dreadful, et cetera, et cetera. And on Twitter, it sounds on site. I basically like to just pimp the articles from my friends on Sound on Site. But, uh, you know, every once in a while, I get to find some free time on my busy schedule, just kind of like rant about things. <laughs> and, of course, thank you, Kate, co-host. And can you remind listeners where they can find you online? You can find me on Twitter as well. I'm at the Televerse, and I love talking about TV and other stuff as well. So just drop me a line. And I, I've been I need to get back into tweeting more frequently. It's been a very busy few months, but if you tweet at me, I will respond. So you know, let, drop me a line. Let me know that you know what you think of Hannibal. And if you want to hear my other thoughts on on TV, of course, Ricky and I co-host the Sound Outside Walking Dead podcast, so you can listen to us talk about that with a different guest every week. And then there's also uh, the Televerse, which is my weekly TV podcast with Simon Howell, also at Sound Outside. So basically, just check out Sound Insight. I review Parenthood, I review Grimm, um, and other stuff as it comes up as well. Um, so you can find all of my writing there, and you know, let me know what you're thinking about TV and what shows I should be checking out that maybe I'm not. Uh, the barren wasteland that is my Twitter feed makes your Twitter <laughs> feed look like you are the most active user. So. So just in case, if you want to find me on Twitter, listeners, I'm at Sean Coletti. I, I contribute to Sound on Site. I do weekly reviews for Banshee, Elementary, and Black Sales at the moment. I'm also writing reviews, weekly reviews of Hannibal for TV Overmind. And you can find my personal blog at www.thereisnothingon.com. But that's it for this week. Thank you again for tuning in. You've been listening to This Is Our Design. <laughs>